big part of evaluation is evaluating gaps in the ministry. Gaps. I call it gap leadership. Becoming skillful at gap leadership. What is that? What does that mean? Here's where we're going. That's where God told us to go. That's the vision. That's what God said, I want you to set this free on this timetable. Set it free. Here's where we are today. So this line right here represents the straight and narrow, the shortest distance between two points, where we are today and where we're headed. Anything else is wandering around in the wilderness. Your job is to keep us from wandering around in the wilderness. So your job is to identify the gaps, the gaps in our performance, whether they be results or whether they be behavior. That's what a leader does. You spend a lot of time identifying gaps, gap leadership. Now let me just tell you, of the top 200 corporations in our nation, of the top 200 corporations in our nation, 40 CEOs have been fired in the last couple years because they failed to identify the gaps in their corporation. Now God is a bit more graceful. He has more grace. He doesn't fire us for missing gaps. But in the world system, it's tough. You miss a few gaps and you're fired. And and so 20% of them have been fired out of the top 200 corporations. So these are the best of the lot that got fired. And they got fired for three main reasons, which I want to share with you, because they're the same three reasons that are keeping your ministry wandering around in the wilderness instead of setting free what God told you to do by his timetable. Three main aspects of identifying the gaps are, number one, you have to recognize the gap. You have to recognize that there is a gap. And if you're not paying attention, if you're not taking time to think, if you're not evaluating, you're going to miss some very critical things. Major opportunities will be missed. Major mistakes will be made. They will be oversight and therefore opportunities will be missed, like that 85 to 90% opportunity is being missed and not being worked on. You can't work on something unless you know what the numbers are. You can't set a goal. Nobody's focused on it. So you didn't recognize that, just to make my point. I'm not trying to beat you up, but you didn't recognize that fact, unless you've been here before. The second thing, you have to prioritize it. And I'll teach you what these mean, but you have to prioritize the gap. They didn't. They were fired. It was for one of these or all three, any combination. Recognize, prioritize, and mobilize is the third. Mobilize the gap. Gap leadership. You've got to recognize the gaps. Once you recognize the gaps, you have to make them a priority. If you don't make them a priority, even if you recognize them, it doesn't make a difference. And then once you've made them a priority, you mobilize. You turn it into an opportunity. So this is, this is the formula for reinventing your ministry. And we're going to get to work on that as we go here. Recognize, prioritize, and mobilize. So let's, let's, what do I mean by a gap? 
Well, here's where we're headed. There's where we're going. And here is a little gap. It's just a little tiny gap. It's no big deal. And, but if it's unattended, if we didn't recognize it, if we didn't make it a priority, and we didn't mobilize somebody to fix it, guess where it is next? Here. It's the big gap now. And if we continue to not recognize it, or maybe we recognized it, but we didn't make it a priority, or maybe we made it a priority, but we didn't mobilize anybody to fix it, or we mobilized somebody to fix it and they didn't fix it, because they just did their best. They didn't do whatever it took to fix it. So now it's here. So we got a little gap here. You got a pretty good sized gap here. And you got World War III here. Whether it's their behavior that gets undealt with. You know, I, you see something wrong. Well, I'm going to make a note of it. And then when we do a performance evaluation in eight months, I'm going to bring it up. What? We're going to let them continue to make a mistake, frustrate you, and embarrass themselves? No, we're going to sit down right now and deal with it. Right now. We're going to close this gap right here before it becomes bigger. Before, before the leaven starts spreading in the ministry. A little leaven, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. So this is a little leaven right here. We're going to fix it right here. If we don't, this is how much leaven you got. And then it keeps going. And look what happens to your ministry. You wonder why things aren't happening. Because you're not identifying the gaps. You're not prioritizing them. And you're not coming up with a, directing a plan to fix it. You don't do it. When you see a gap, what do you do? Absolutely nothing. But direct somebody to make it happen. Fix it. Okay, now. These are, this is, what gaps look like. Now, there was a company. Let's just pick one. There's many examples. But uh, one uh, was in uh, Boston a couple years ago now. And there's a pastor from Rochester that comes over to the advanced implementation training in Boston. And he's from Rochester, where Eastman Kodak is. And just ironically, I knew he was coming. I love the man. I was looking forward to seeing him. I think about the partners and pray for him before we, you know, and I was anticipating seeing him. He's a precious man of God. And so, I, but I pick up the paper at the Marriott, and there, there's, there's the headline on the USA Today. And it says, Eastman Kodak, where he's from, Racha. Eastman Kodak lays off 30,000 employees. That's the headline. This was five or six years ago. And the second, the subheading is moving into the digital market. Now, this was, like I said, four years ago. How long have you known about digital cameras? You know, so you've had, most of us have had them for more than four or five years, right? So they didn't really recognize the significance of the problem, that how it's going to affect the film industry. They didn't recognize the problem, or they recognized it, but they didn't make it a high enough priority, or they didn't come up with a plan. They lost three CEOs in... A, this short little window of time, I don't know how long, but three CEOs came and went because they didn't close the gap. They didn't close the I was just in a training, and a guy worked for Kodak. He said there were four, right? so maybe there's four. But they're gone because they, they see, and we knew about digital a little late. 
But they, didn't, they either didn't recognize the significance of it, they didn't make it a high enough priority to move enough out of the film industry and into digital cameras, and everybody started eating. Their, their stock became absolutely almost worthless, almost worthless, because of a gap. And that'll happen in your ministry if you're not paying attention. And now, we have one huge advantage in ministry. I've cited a couple that are not advantages. The Righteous Thing and others that you've, you already know well enough about. But we have one huge advantage. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can tell us right here that something is about to become a gap. But we have to be intimate with God. We have to be hearing His voice. We can't be so anxious that we can't hear His still small voice. And so, and so uh, filled with anxiety that we don't even have time or we're such adrenaline junkies, we don't have time to hear from him. The it's God's ministry, so the Holy Spirit will tell you right here that something is about to happen and go awry. So we have to listen to the Holy Spirit because it's God's ministry, and we have to recognize, prioritize, and mobilize the gaps and close them. That's all part of evaluation. Gap leadership. And you have to teach your people. You're, you're not the only gap evaluator. You have to teach your people that they have to function like this too. They have to identify the gaps where they work and in what they do. But you've got emerging gaps, which is what the Holy Spirit will forewarn you about. And you have small gaps, bigger gaps, huge gaps. You have to recognize the facts. So tag team this onto the scripture you got back on one of the earlier pages. You have to recognize these facts. You have to know them. You have to have a dashboard. You have to have key indicators. You have to have data. You have to, op that's what you have to have. You have to evaluate data. Your meetings are meetings where we're looking at data so you would know how to direct. And you see, this isn't a straight line. This, I've drawn it here, one, two, three, four, five, but it's not a straight line. It, it's like this. It's a continual process. You provide direction. You obtain plans, ideas, and recommendations. You commission the work. If you can't commission it, you coach. If you can commission it, you coach and tell them why it's so good so they understand why it's good. You coach. But if you can't commission it, it goes right back up here with redirection on your part, redirection on your part, and goes right back to them. You respect them enough to let them. If you take it back and fix it, that's the most disrespectful thing you can do to somebody. What are you saying? What's the, what's the message? What's the unsaid message? You're too stupid to ever figure this thing out. You'll never get it. I have to take it. I have to do it. You'll never get it. That's what, that's what they're going to be receiving. So stop taking it back. And I see you doing that all the time. Coach, if you can't, then you redirect, redirect, and it start, we start the process again. Then you get over here, you evaluate, and when you evaluate, then you can provide new direction. And it's an, it never ends. It's an on, it's, so this isn't a straight line. Okay, but now back over here. You recognize the problem. You're, what are you recognizing? You're getting knowledge, 
So you're recognizing the facts. Living Bible says they're facts. You, rec you have to recognize them. So get all the facts that you can. Over time, you will build. I, I have several pages that we've captured. I give them to the partners. Yeah, the several pages of key indicators that, that we have to be looking at. You don't have to look at them all at every single meeting, but on, on a fairly regular schedule, you prescribe what that is, you look at the facts. So you can recognize, are we improving or are we not improving? Are we going north or are we going south? Then, how do you prioritize? What's, what's second? Prioritize. How do you prioritize? By, we're going to learn how to do this down the road here, but you prioritize by putting it, causing your people to face reality. So they're staring the facts in there. If you're the only one that knows the facts, then there's nobody that can hold up your hands and take the vision and run with it. They don't know what needs to be done here. So you've got to share it, not moan and groan. Look, Moses looked like this, an attitude of praise, not, not, not demeaning, not, not moaning and complaining about people. This, this suppresses people. But Moses was an attitude of praise, and, and so... But we're, we prioritize here by getting common sense, tapping into all the Proverbs, all the good sense we can get. Uh, get, every, get your team. Your team now is facing reality, the reality of this fact. And sometimes it's not necessarily a bad fact. It's a good fact. And we're going to put strength on strength and power on power. But we're applying common sense. That's how, you, if, you don't, if you don't work that way, if you don't do that and you just hang on to it, it's not, it's not priority because there's only so much you can do. So it's not a priority. And then once we've applied common sense to it, what's the cause? What's the cause? What's the effect that this is having? What's the cause of that? What's the cause of keeping only 10 to 15%? And what kind of effect is that having on our ministry? Oh, <laughs> can't get anything done. We don't have any leaders. We can't do this. We can't build this. So it becomes clear to people. Now they're going to be more motivated to change and start fixing this thing because they see the problem. They're facing reality. And then finally, mobilize. That means we come up with a plan. We mobilize, whether it's a team, your whole team, depending on the assignment, depending on what it is we have to change. It, but it has, there has to be a point person, one person that is totally accountable. This is the formula. So we identify the issue, we identify the problems, the cause and the effect, and then we turn it into an opportunity. Now, when you're structured properly in ministry and when you're not doing everything and you've got depth and you've got teams down line, then when we bump into issues, you'll start salivating. You'll be excited. You'll like issues because they're opportunities to build the ministry. Right now, you don't want to hear about them. You can't take any more. But you're going to, when you learn to do this and you work the way that we've been talking about here and you survive, you're going to have fun. You're going to like going to the meeting. It's going to be your meeting. It's going to be a meeting on the macro stuff, the stuff that matters to God. And you're going to like going to that meeting, and we'll get to that. Okay, now what we're going to do is look at the funnel of unsuccess. So turn to the page with the funnel, and above the funnel, I want you to write the funnel of unsuccess. 
the funnel of unsuccess. And we're going to have to learn how to turn it into a successful funnel. But what's the purpose of a funnel, quickly? Yeah, to direct some input. So you have input coming in. You write up here, the funnel of unsuccess. But you have input coming into the funnel. And then the objective, as several of you just said, is to turn it into some action, to channel it into some action or some result, action or result. So we have input coming into the funnel. What happens if you have more input coming in than is coming out the other end of the funnel? We have flowing here and dripping here. What happens? Yeah, it overflows. And what does that create? Yeah, a mess, waste. And how does that manifest into emotions? Frustration, anxiety, stress, frust all those D words. Discouragement, despair, despondency, because it's the big D, dysfunctional funnel. It's a dysfunctional funnel. And in this case, the mouth of the funnel represents your ministry. It represents the entity, any entity we want it to represent. But in this case, your entire ministry or leaders, your de entire department or division, that's what the mouth of the funnel represents. And so in the case of the entire ministry, we'll just use that as the working example here, these arrows are God's mandates. They're the mandates that he's sending in down into your ministry, the directives that he wants you to accomplish. So these are the directives up here, and he's trying to get them into some action or some result. He wants something done with them. He wants to transact those mandates. And we're dripping. He's pouring, and we're dripping. And we have the thing you just told me, mess, waste, inefficiency, frustration, and all those D words. So this is not working. It's, an, uh, it's a dysfunctional or unsuccessful funnel. And now what happens, it, wh what's the problem here? We have two options. One is we could tell God to get a clue. You know, he doesn't realize we're incompetent and we can't get anybody to do any work around here. And they, the, when they do do work, they, you know, it doesn't amount to much and they just do their best and I'm sorry. No, so he's not, nobody's ever known God to take back a mandate, right? So that's not an option. In fact, what is he likely to do right now? There you go. Yeah, that's not Christian either, is it? To stretch people. Yeah, that's not Christian. Stretching people. No, abuse is one thing. Stretching is good. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. Hey, I thought you said you were going to make a change. Hey, I thought you said you wanted to be all you could be for me. Well, then make a change. Hey, learn this. Take a risk. Go there. Do that. Stretches us continually because he loves us. That's a, it's a form of love. It's a manifestation of love for somebody to help them be all they can be. But we get so timid. So, yeah, he'll drop another one on you till you get sick and tired of being sick and tired and you make a change. Now you're facing reality, more reality. He's throwing more reality on you to help you make a change. And so what's the, so what's the real problem here? The neck of the funnel. It's too skinny. You, and what is the neck of the funnel? What is that? Yeah, you. You. You have to touch everything, do everything, think of everything, solve everything, fix everything, plan everything, monitor everything. You're, you're to have to, every, you have to have your hand on every single thing. You're not taking the pulse of your ministry. 
you're involved in everything in the ministry. So it's destroying you, but it's debilitating God's work. He can't get anything done. So we have to widen the neck of the funnel. We have to widen it. How do we do that? How do you widen the neck of the funnel? You have to delegate, empower, and entrust to others. Delegate and empower and trust to others. Continually, consistently, ongoing, every time, always. You're the broker of God's work. God gives you a mandate. Your first question is, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? Wrong question. Question is, who can I give this to? That should be your first question. Who am I going to assign this to? That's your job. You're the broker of God's work, not the doer. So you delegate, empower, and entrust to others. Widen the neck of the funnel. But that doesn't last. Why? Because if we don't correspondingly coach and teach and train and mentor them for success, then they don't know how to do it. And nobody likes to be embarrassed and fail and try to do things that nobody's ever taught them how to do. And you know how frustrating that is. So that, but that's what we're doing to our people. We're giving them responsibility without training, without discipleship. So we have to call, otherwise they get frustrated, they quit. They won't stay. So we have to do both of these, delegate, empower, and trust, correspondingly coach, teach, train, and mentor. So we delegate and we disciple. And when we disciple more, we're capable of delegating more. And it's a continual process. They play off of each other. Delegate, disciple. Disciple, delegate. We continue to increase. They never arrive. We never arrive. You don't just disciple them to they complete membership class and then, you know, you're on your own. Good luck. Hope it works out. You have to take them the distance. All the way down to the end there. So, you, you see this? Now look it. Look what happens. God's got flow through. Things are happening here. Things are flying through the ministry. But we got a secondary challenge here. Now we got flow through. You're freed up. But now here's your team, your team of funnels. And if you haven't, established, you haven't modeled this, and then you haven't established the expectation that they have to do the same thing, that they have to widen the neck of their funnel so that they're delegating down line, building a team under them, and being able to delegate down. Uh, if they don't do that, then you're delegating. We've got pass-through here. We've got things flowing down to the team. But if they're not doing this, we've just moved the mess down one level. We've just moved a mess down because they're not delegating. You haven't put that expectation. You haven't modeled it. You haven't put that expectation on them. And consequently, it's not going down. And you're freeing free for a couple weeks. And then it's no different than your septic system. It backs up. It's going to hit you up here. Here's you, the CEO. You're delegating, but they're not. And that's what we talked about here, why it's so important that they build teams and delegate and train and teach and coach future generations of leaders deep down into the ministry. But when we have, so now we do have flow through here. So we have achieved the objective with Aaron here, and he's now built his team down here. And, but they don't delegate to their team. And so then now we just move the mess down to that level. 
And like I said, it doesn't matter where, if, you, doesn't, if your septic's backed up, it's going to hit you on the first floor, the second floor, eventually. So it's the same thing here. So this has to work downhill all the way down. Not tomorrow, not next week, but over time. We have to delegate. This process has to be replicated in your team and then their teams and down to the next level of teams, the Timothy process. So it's not only that we learn how to do the job description and we learn these things, but we have to actually inculcate them into the ministry over time as deep as we possibly can so that we can do more for God. We increase our capacity this way, and then as was illustrated earlier, God can pour more in to our ministry, increase the capacity. And let me say some strong things about this because it's you're going to have a hard time doing this even carol has to remind me she said dean she's hearing me moaning about all that i got to do you know in such limited time and she said you need to go to the training dr radke training <laughs> you know you need to listen to him about delegation and so yeah this is a lifetime challenge we have always working on this, but deeper down in them. If you're not delegating, these are strong, but let me just flat out tell you what it is. If you're not delegating to others, you're cheating and stealing from their ability to become more valuable and contribute more to God's kingdom work. You're cheating. It's no different than you stole their wallet because you're stealing their destiny when you do their work. That's, I'm sorry, but that's exactly what, it's, what it means. I'm still the guy that loved you this morning. But cheating and stealing from them. You're cheating and stealing from God getting what he needs done. Because you're trying to capture and harbor and control and manipulate everything. you got to let it go. And how about this? Let my people go. I believe God would say when you look at this, let my people go. Let my people out of bondage and captivity here where they can't think and they can't contribute you're hurting the growth of the ministry. You're not doing your job description. You're not functioning as a leader if you're not delegating. The distinguishing characteristic of a strong leader is how dependent he is on the activities of a variety of other people to do his job effectively. That's the mark of a great leader. Now, we, in order to do this, this, is, this may seem scary to you. We talked about that a little earlier. Let's have another culture. How about a culture of celebrating noble failure? Now, the key word there is noble, not chronic. We don't celebrate chronic failure. Be people that aren't teachable, people who don't apply what you tell them to do, like the people you counsel. You know, you tell them what to do, how to get help, what they can do to save their life, and you keep counseling them. Don't counsel them. They don't do what you ask them to do. You give them a fighting, what are you, what are you doing? And so people, we, we need to, we need to, let peop God's people go. And we need to celebrate noble failure. Noble. What does that mean? Noble. They care about you. They care about what they're going to take risks. They may make mistakes. Good. Why? That's why we celebrate. They make a mistake. Now we can sit down and learn something. We can sit down here and learn something from the mistake. The more mistakes, the more learning. Only the, the, the experience Experience is the, the currency of leadership. Experience is the currency of leadership. So the more experience we get, but there's a caveat. You have to learn from the experience. You have to learn from it. 
Remember I told you about the part general partner and the limited partnership yesterday, I think? And I, I, uh, we, I, I'd started American Education Publishing to make money again for me. Since I left the money at the limited, now I needed to make some more money for God. <laughs> and so we started American Education Publishing. We had a great idea. We, I hired two of the smartest guys I could find, and we had a business plan that we put together. We had a great concept. Of how, of how it was an education concept. I don't want to get into the detail, but it was, it was highly successful already. But, and we were off and running, but we know that the big boys would take our concept and knock it off. The company was American Education Publishing. And, and we, so we needed to be in all the marketing channels that, that we had identified immediately because the big boys would knock off our idea. They would, they don't care about getting sued. A couple of young punks like us, you know, some big publishing company sees our idea and they'll knock it off and run with it. And we challenge it and they'll deposition us till we run out of money. That's how the game is played. So we had to have more money than we had. We, we wanted to do it with our own money. That way we could control everything. But we couldn't. We didn't have enough money. We needed another million five, uh, more than what we'd put in. And so I'm just I'm not telling a story here. I'm trying to illustrate something, and this will help you big time. So we went to deep. Here's our business plan. And it was about, it was about this thick business plan of how we're going to, you know, so we're going to get this million five. So we take the business plan to deep pockets number one here, and we show them the business plan, and we said, we'll be back in two weeks, let you look it over, and then we'll come for the check, you know, a million five. And uh, he, so we came back in two weeks, deep pockets number one, and uh, he said, well, boys, here now, um, look over here on page 186. I don't think it'll play out like that at all. I think it'll play out this way. And what would you boys do if it played out my way? And our answer was something like, duh. <laughs> okay, so we didn't get a million five. Then we went to deep pockets number two here. Came back in two weeks, ready to get the check. And he said, hey, fellas, uh, interesting plan here, but over here on page so-and-so, I had a concern about this, and I got a concern over here, too. And uh, in fact, I have quite a, quite a few concerns, and here's the first one. And what, do you, what would you do about that if that would occur with my money? And we said this answer was fairly similar. Duh. And we didn't get the money. Same thing, deep pockets number three. Same thing with deep pockets number four. And we got to deep pockets number five. But before we got to... When we got to from one to two and two to three and three to four and four to five, they, what were they doing? They were at, there's two key questions in doing your job. The first one is, what could go wrong? That's what you're doing. When, you, when, you, when you're given direction, you're, in order for them to be successful, you're anticipating what could go wrong. And the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. And you've got all that experience. So you forewarn them for the things that could go wrong when you give them the direction. You know how to do this. You've had a lot of experience. That's part of direction setting. But you're also sitting here commissioning the work, and you're thinking, as you do now, what could go wrong if I approve this thing? Well, you know, nothing's perfect. So what would be the vulnerabilities if I approve this thing? That's what they're saying. If I put my money on these ponies, are, am I going to get a return? Are we going to win? Or, and they're asking tough questions. 
And that's what you should do, and we're going to talk about that. The art, we're going to talk about asking depth charge questions, and I'll explain what that is tomorrow. But so deep pockets, number one. But every time, after one, after two, after three, we went right across the street and grabbed a cup of coffee. They didn't even have Starbucks in those days, but whatever it was, Wendy's. We sat over there, and we said, what's the answer? What's the answer? What did we learn here from this? So what could, they're asking, what could go wrong? That's the first question. That's key in ministry and key in anything you're building. What could go wrong? The second question is, what did we learn? When it's something does, you try to head off all the things that could go wrong. But things go wrong. So the next question is, what can we learn from this experience? So we went over there. We said, what can we learn from this? And we stayed there until we answered that question. Then we went back over there after the second uh, head experience, and we asked the next question, what could we do to answer that question? And that question and that question, and we did that four times, and we had on top of the original plan a backup plan. Answered all the questions that were raised, and we came over here to deep pockets number five. And we gave them the opportunity to look at this and this attached to it. And we came back literally very close to this. We came back in two weeks and he said, you guys are geniuses. And he wrote a check for a million five. Well, we had to sit with the attorneys for eight weeks, but we got the check. <laughs> you know. But a million five, you guys are geniuses. We went from duh heads to geniuses in two months because we learn from every experience. If you can create that kind of culture in your ministry, you will be extremely successful. You'll be extremely successful. If you can learn from every experience, you will be extremely successful. But you have to celebrate noble failure. We failed four times to become a genius. There's a, the, greatest, uh, the greatest guy I've ever seen on a business program was being interviewed by Leslie Stahl. And she said, wow, you're a genius. You're a network here. And he owns the Dallas Stars. I forget the company. And a whole bunch of them, conglomerates. And they were interviewing him. And they said, you're, she's saying, you're a genius. And you're so networked. And you're the big power broker here in Dallas. And blah, blah, blah. And he said, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute, Leslie. He said, no, you don't understand. I've been bankrupt three times. I've made some of the most amazing, idiotic mistakes in my life. And he explained, he said, let me share some. He wanted the viewers to know something, what I, and this is what I'm trying to tell you. And, and he said, I made some of the most amazing mistakes. And, she, and after she cited a few of them, she said, wow, those are, yeah. So, so you, you really did make a lot of mistakes there, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I spent my whole life becoming an overnight success. That's what this is about, learning, learning. from. You've got to take a risk. Wayne Gretzky said, 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in. So you've got to celebrate, celebrate risk. Okay, so here you are today, and we're at the beginning of 2009, and God gives you five things to do this year, and you're moving toward the mission that you're on, the assignment, the vision as you know it, and God gives you five new mandates here. Five new mandates come down the pike for you this year. When you go to the mountain, God said, these are the five main things I want you to do. You have to work on priorities. You have to know what the five main things are. You can know other things, but you've got to identify what are the five, the top five. That's what you, and we work in priorities, and I'll show you that when we get down to some of the other boards. So you have five things to do. So at the end of 2009 and the beginning of 10 here, we've accomplished all five. 
let's just say, but one of them was not really very effective. It was bogus. It didn't really need, meet the needs of the people. So we really hit on not exactly five, but almost. So we were very good, okay? Now we're talking about learning, like Jesus, Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and therefore in favor with God. I'm talking here about growing in wisdom. You growing in wisdom, your team growing in wisdom, and the whole joint growing in wisdom. Everybody growing in wisdom. So we did very good collectively. We, we didn't nail it exactly, but it's not bad. And it's hardly discernible. You may not even recognize it as a problem. You should. You better. And you better fix it, because look what happens. Here's what God gave us to do last year. If we're going to maintain, then we would be the doing the same. But we've got to not only do this and all the stuff that we've already had, but we have to do five more things next year. So here's the same amount of responsibility. To whom much is given, more is required. Here's the same amount of responsibility, but here's then some. Now we're going to be up there in 2011. And we grew this much last year. This is how much we could keep pace with what God asked us to do. And so next year, we're going to grow. We're going to continue to grow. Here's the same amount of personal growth, corporate growth, team growth, whatever you want to ascribe it to. Here's the, here's the same amount up to here. And then we'll give it a then some. So we grew more, but we didn't make up for last year's difference. And we didn't keep pace. Now we're falling further. Now we're good. Then you play that out one more. God adds more to your plate. Here's the same amount. Here's then some up here now. As he's growing. He's enlarging. He wants to increase capacity. And you have to have a capacity to learn, to keep pace with it, the sophistication, the complexity of the ministry. And here is you growing. And here's the same amount. And then you're going to continue to grow. You personally, your team, or the whole place. But look. It's not keeping pace with the demands from God. This is why we need a learning culture. Now, this illustrates, you see, we're now, you know, so we had five things to do this year, and we only hit on 2.5 of them because we're average. That's not even average. That's terrible. That's a disaster. But I'm being kind. But the, now, let's, this, this illustrates my point, but let's illustrate what happens to your ministry if you don't grow. People don't learn all the way down line. If they don't learn, let's just take this little gap right here, move it out to the side. Then we take this and move that out to the side. Then we take this here and move that out to the side. And this is what's happening to your ministry. Now let's look at the other illustration right there, and I'll move over here and do this one. The L, the other one on the, uh, what is it, the top, bottom page, top of the page. This is you, the L is you, the leader. The L is you as the leader, and I'm talking about change here. So the leader is the change agent. The leader it creates other change agents. We call them satellite CEOs. We can also call them satellite change agents. We need as many change agents as we can get. You can only change what you do with your team. Then it needs to flow down line. But I want to talk to you very quickly about change, and I want to make a very strong point here at the end. I'm not going to spend time on the first two arrows. I've already spent time on one of them and a little bit more on this and major on this one. This one is about leading constructive change, and we talked about that with your team, leading constructive change.
sort of desire, to set God's desired future free. Okay, that's, that's constructive change. So this one is about constructive change, leading constructive change, you as the leader. What's this one? This is about being the CEO of you and leading change in your life. This is about judging yourself rightly. This is about judging yourself, being modeling. Since you're the modeler, you're, the teacher is the modeler. We established that. This is judging yourself whether you're operating by this training manual, whether you're operating in righteousness, whether you're being honest, whether you're doing the things that this book prescribes, whether we're, whether we're operating in the fear of the Lord, respect for his precepts. And then the second thing is judging yourself as to whether you're doing this stuff or not. So first is the righteousness, second is the mechanics. Are you doing these things? Are you being the, are you changing? This is about personal change. Or being the CEO of you. Being the CEO of you. How are you doing? And ask God. And let him bring correction. Be the, being the CEO of you. Now here's what I want to talk about. Because we talked about cultures earlier. And this is about culture change up here, culture change. And I want you to write down, this is about creating followers that lead, followers that lead. Remember yesterday when we were here on the tachometer, I said we all know about being servant leaders. We all know how we're supposed to be like Jesus. We've read all those books, but we know very little about this. Developing leader servants. Leader servants. And this illustrates what I mean by developing leader servants. So I'm going to tell a story about a great leader in a third world country. They were in a mountainous region in, in this third world country. And they were in a village here. And they're surrounded by mountains. And third world country. And this pastor, this particular leader that is, was over here with his peers, over here in the meadow, next to the village where it's quiet, and they're here together. He's here with his peers, and they're ministering to one another. They're talking about their vision. They're talking about the mission, their assignment. They're talking about the challenges that they face in doing their assignments. They're they're, but they're also talking about their hurts and their weaknesses and their temptations. See, that's not happening anymore in the body of Christ. We have organizations, we've got networks, we've got fellowships, and they talk to one another, oh, we're blowing it out, George, you wouldn't believe how we're doing. The same dishonesty that they <laughs> give me with the, it's been said up here several times. But they're not, but why? Because there's no sanctity. There's, there's, no, there's no confidentiality. There's no respect for another person's life and feelings. There's, so there's no place to share stuff. And so why do you think there's 22,000 casualties? There's no place to go with our hurts. We're alone as leaders, as ministers, as particularly as pastors. And so, they're, but they're doing that here. But that's not happening. If it was happening, we wouldn't have near the casualties that we have. If somebody could go and just be real with another pastor and tell them what they're dealing with and they could minister to one another and let iron sharpen iron, wouldn't that be wonderful? And we don't even have that in ministry you guys are supposed to be like Nehemiah, each working on your own gate. 
in your department, working with your weapons on, protecting one another, praying for one another, guarding one another, watching out for one another. But we got all this stuff going on within the ministry. And Peggy Sue will tell you, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. So don't tell anybody, but I mean, you know, could you give me any counsel? Hey, Alice, listen, Peggy, you know, don't tell anybody, because I promised, you know, I told her I wouldn't share this with anybody, so don't share it with anybody. But, you know, we need to pray. To, no, pray yourself. But this is going on all the time. And, guys, you see the leaven. Look, if somebody does that to you, I know this may, this is like, hey, I know this. Well, it, if we know it, why is it happening so much in ministry? Why is it so prevalent? And you leaders, you have, I'm off the story about followers that lead, okay? You've figured that out by now. <laughs> I, but I'm on to the one here about protecting the, and, and getting the leaven out of the ministry and protecting the righteousness of this place. And, and it, you leaders, you've got to blow the whistle. You see it more than the pastor. You see it more than he sees. He can't see it from his position. He doesn't see all the leaven down there in the departments, all this backbiting and gossip and all this stuff, that whatever form of leaven, you see it. And you have to have enough unction in here. It's your job to take care of it. And pastors, you have to teach your people. This is what I expect. Don't come me telling me about it. You take care of it and teach them how to do that. You do it with them. You model it with them. You're going to find out when we work in teams, we all get corrected in the team meeting. So everybody's learning. But we, you sit here and you tell them how to handle something like that. And then you say, that's what I expect you to do with your people. Don't come running to me and tattletale to me about somebody. You see it. It's your job. You fix it. You take authority over that thing, and you fix it. Otherwise, this is just silliness. Now let's develop strong and mature people, and you model it. Okay, so back to the story. But this is a huge problem, huge problem. Okay, back to the story, though, followers that lead. So here they're ministering to one another, iron sharpening iron and so forth. He's doing what he needs to be doing, and he looks up, and he sees his people. There they go. They're moving out. They're going up the switchbacks. And they're, like, they know. They're going over the mountain. They're leaving in time, packed up, moving out, going over the mountain to set up camp by dusk so that they can be ready at dawn to continue the assignment and minister in the morning. So they're moving out. And he's still here with his people. And I want you to get this picture. Uh, I'm, I'm painting a picture so that you'll get this in your spirit. So there, he looks up and he sees them. And he turns to his peers. And he said, uh, gentlemen, I must go. He said, I, I must excuse myself, I must go. There go my people, and I'm their leader. I want that for you. Wouldn't that be refreshing? You're doing what you're called to do, and you can say, there go my people, and I'm their leader. What's that? That's a commitment culture. That's a culture of commitment. But you have to cultivate that culture. That's a culture of commitment as opposed to compliance. But wh what's implicit in the culture of commitment in this, just in this illustration? They know what they're expected to do. They know what the assignment is. They are self-initiating. They've been trained. They know how to do it, what to do, when to do it, and do it. They don't need to be reminded. They're moving out. 
They're moving up forward with the vision. There they go. I want that for you. Get it. But what's the opposite of that is compliance. Now, this, these are the same precious saints in the, in the little illustration I'm, I'm going to give you here. But you're still over there, and here are your people. I mean, look what time it is. I mean, what's, what's going on here? What's the deal? What's he doing over there? Doesn't he know we need to be doing something about now? You know? What's, I mean, he's just over there shooting the breeze with those guys. I mean, I'm ready, aren't you guys? I mean, you know, when's he going to come over and remind us? When's he going to tell us what to do again? How to do it? You know? You know, I'm ready, aren't you? You got, we're ready, man. <laughs> you know? And then here he comes. I'm What's up, Pastor? What's up? We're ready. We're there. Get started. We're, we're right there. We're going to pitch in. What, what are we doing first? What do you, you want to do again? How do you want it done again? Just start, do it. We'll help you. Look, I don't want to get any more demeaning than this is already, okay? But you created this monster. You, these are, it's not their fault. These are precious saints of God. The same group that's up there are these people, the same people. God loves them, and they're precious in his sight. They're just poorly trained. And we've created a compliant culture because you keep reminding them, you keep doing it, you do their work. That's the habit. That's the culture you've created. You've got to change it. You've got to change it. You have to develop followers that lead, that will move out. Will they do it perfectly every time? No, but they're learning. We're going to celebrate noble failure, but there they go, and I'm their leader. You're going to, you're, the pastors that have been me, with me for years, they just love to tell me about how they have to catch up with their people. There go my people, and I'm their leader. There they go again, moving out. Boy, look what they did this time. I went out of town. I came back. You couldn't believe what they did. They love telling me those stories. Followers that lead leading a cultural change. That's what that was about. This is how you build trust. This is how you build relationship and partnership with the people that you work with day in and day out. 